Life will begin to teach you something that you could not learn on your own. My wife alluded to it when she prayed. She said, whether you've been at the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, the same common denominator fulfills everything. At some point, even when you're at your lowest of lows, what life will prove to you is I just want you. That all the clutter, all the accolades, forget the awards, forget the promotions, forget the houses, forget the cars, forget the clothes. At the end of the day, I just want you. It's very simple to say. But at the end of the day, if you start with that as your heart sentiment, what you say out of your mouth will eventually catch up and catch hold in your heart. So if you say now, I just want you, even right now while you want other things, no matter how long the current list of things that you're hoping for is right now, if you boil that all down and scratch that all out and keep saying out loud repeatedly, Lord, I just want you. I don't want anything else. I just want you. I know I have things that I could use, but I just want you. I could use being healed right now, but I just want you. I could use some more money in my pocket. I got bills to pay. I'm probably behind on a few, but you know what? I just want you. I got some family members that are acting crazy right now. They're making my life miserable, but at the end of the day, I don't care about them. I just want you. Right now, for honest, we want other things. So we got to make the proclamation out of our mouth before it ever catches hold in our heart. If we're honest, we want a ton of other things right now. And really what he's asking us to do is to prioritize him in a way that says, we just want you. Imagine what your life looks like when that becomes the real cry of your heart. Beyond a worship song, beyond five minutes of prayer, it's, Lord, I just, Jesus, I just want you. Nothing else will do. I don't have another substitute. You know, we remove sugar all the time, so now we start talking about uh, sweet and low and and then some of now all the other ones that we're trying to eliminate because we say those are no good either. Those are all substitutes for the real thing. And part of what we do with our life is we substitute yes. things for when the real thing is already present and in front of us, willing and ready and able to do all that's necessary. But we want other things. And he says, nothing else matters. I just want you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. Make this the cry of our heart and make it for real. Whatever it takes to drive us to that point where that is our affirmation, our, our, our heart's desire, the first thing that comes out of our mouth, Father, we just want you. Help us to prioritize you in a way that replaces anything that puts you behind something else. So we thank you for this opportunity to just say out of our mouths, we just want you. We know that it all starts here. It doesn't end here, but it starts with the confession of our mouth. For your word says, even before we're saved, it says if we first confess with our mouth and then believe in our heart 
that you've been raised from the dead, then shall we be saved. But it started with the confession of our mouth. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to reprioritize you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have your seat in the presence of the Lord. Well, my name is Minister Cody, and I count it an honor and a privilege to be in front of you today. Um, I am not Pastor Jamal. Uh, I think some people have probably picked that up by now. I have more muscle than he does. He won't admit that, but I mean, we'll, we'll deal with that at another juncture. He'll, he'll have to go to the weight room and work out a little bit more, and then he might catch up. So, uh, but I'm grateful to be before you today, and... Uh, you know, as I think about, uh, I want to uh, say thank the Lord for Minister Lisa for what she shared last week. Yeah. She shared some very important things that are going to tie a little bit into what I share today. Uh, last week, she talked a lot about the seed. And, and so as we're talking about and walking into a season of harvest, uh, the seed is very important, but the seed is only as important as the cultivation process that it's put through in order to grow. There is nothing exciting about a seed by itself. I'm not sure how many people get excited about a seed that they see in somebody's hand, but I've watched plenty of people be excited by what the seed produces in the form of a flower. You know, women, when you get roses and when you get flowers from your husbands or your significant others or your children, you're never, you never stop to think about, huh, I wonder where that seed came from. But you begin to enjoy the fruit of what that seed produced. And so one of the important things when we talk about a seed is its cultivation. Everybody say Cultivation. Here's the interesting thing about a seed. A seed is full of potential, right? It's full of potential, uh, but it must go through a process if it's going to grow. The Bible says, Paul says it this way. He says, some plants, some water, but God makes it what? He makes it increase or he makes it grow. So then he goes on to say, nor the, seed, nor the person who plants the seed, nor those who water it are really all of that important, but it's me who makes it grow. So there is something important to be said about a cultivation process. You know, in Matthew 25, one of the things we find uh, is we find the parable of the talents, and we've all been through that, understood it, uh, have had it taught have probably taught it ourselves to nauseam about the people who uh, have an opportunity to have some things that God has given them, and then they go through a process of determining what they're going to do, what they're going to do with what they were already given. Here's the first principle. We've all been given something. We've all been given a seed. Right? There's another uh, parable, the parable of, of the grounds. And so there was, a, you know, the, the stony ground, the thorny ground. There was the fruitful ground. And then there was the one where uh, it got caught in the thorns and the thistles. Here's the very important thing about that entire process. Right? The seed represented an opportunity, but it made no guarantees for how it was going to grow. Right? 
how the seed was going to grow was out of its own hands and was in the hands of the person who, or the ground that occupied the seed, right? Uh, uh, John 12, 24 says, unless a, a, a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it abides alone. And, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. What is it saying? The first thing it's saying is, and we've heard this before, nothing grows in isolation, but only in community. The reason the seed has to fall to the ground is falling to the ground is the only place that the seed has community. The seed does not have community anywhere else except soon as it falls to the ground. Why? Because when that seed falls to the ground, guarantee you there's not just one seed that fell to the ground. If you were to visit any resident apple tree, you would see, if you went to an apple tree, you'd see, uh, you'd see several things, but you would not see just one apple laying around the tree. You'd see multiple apples that had fallen off of the tree, right? And then out of the multiple apples, then come out multiple seeds. Here's the ironic thing. The one seed that it takes to plant an apple orchard, it's only one. You don't need a ton of seeds. You need to cultivate the one seed you got really well. What am I saying? Cultivate the one seed you have really well. Spend time stewarding that seed. Uh-oh. Oh, there we go. So one of the things the scripture says is Colossians 4 and 5. Uh, in Colossians 4 5, it talks to us about making the most of every opportunity, right? It says make the most of every opportunity. So what we're talking about is, is every time we have an opportunity to make sure that we cultivate the seed that God has given us, we should take it, right? <clears throat> Cultivation is not an accident, but it's a byproduct of intentionally making the most of every opportunity. Let me say that again. Cultivation is not an accident, but it's a byproduct. Fruit is a byproduct of intentionally making the most of every opportunity you have. In Matthew 13, when we talked about just a, a minute ago about the parable of the sower, it just presents several options for a seed and even the seed, when it falls to the ground, is expecting, it has full expectation that it's going to be cultivated or they know it's going to die. Every time a seed falls to the ground, it either has to be cultivated or it's going to dry up and die. There is no middle ground unless it's planted in good soil, unless it's watered, regularly unless it's exposed to sun, that seed that just fell to the ground is most certainly going to die. Each of the soils provided an opportunity for growth. Uh, the failure of any seed is based upon its ability, the inability of that seed to find the nutrients that it requires to grow. We get excited about a seed. But do we get excited about the process of cultivation that's unnecessary to mature that seed? I'm going to say something very strong here. I believe that most of the reason that we find ourselves in different places uh, in our walk with the Lord is because we've actually failed to make a decision. 
It's not that there's not opportunity for the seed to grow. It's not that you don't even have opportunity to have that seed cultivated. It really, in a lot of senses, comes down to what do you make your priority in order for that seed to grow? I tell uh, the staff I lead all the time, I can always tell them where they put their time on the job. I don't have to guess, they don't have to tell me, they don't have to give me a report. I can look at the results and see where they've spent their time. If you look at your life and its results, you can see where you've put your time. Or you can see where you haven't put your time, right? You can look at your life successes, you can look at the failures, <clears throat> you can look at the struggles, and you will always figure out where you put your time. Most time, it's funny, we have counselors and counselors are necessary, right? They help us work through some things uh, that, are very, that may be difficult for us, but what you'll find is that oftentimes when you sit with a counselor, a counselor works you through until you wind up answering the question yourself. Right? Right, Mr. Aaron, am I, am I, I'm not bugging. <laughs> you, if you self-diagnose, someone helps you get to the point where you're able to answer the question for yourself. Part of what we're talking about when we talk about how we cultivate this, our seed is we can tell when we've made decisions to cultivate and we've made decisions to let it dry up, right? We know when we put a seed in the soil of our heart and it's taken good root, and we've tried to, we've watered it, we've exposed it, we've prayed over it, we've done the things that are necessary, and we know the other things that have not changed, have not grown, have not developed, have not matured, have not been uprooted based on the other things we're cultivating. Guess what? If you plant enough seeds of a particular plant in one place, whatever other plant is sitting there at the time is going to get crowded out. Right? And so if you want to create crop failure, what you have to do is create a fruitful crop that will push all the unfruitful stuff out of the way. Right? So let's go to uh, Luke 14. We're going to start at verse 25, and uh, we're going to go to 34. Yeah, oh, there you go. Thank you. I'm going to read it from here because I'm reading a different translation. So a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around, and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Say your own life. <laughs> Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Right? He says, in other words, you can't be my disciple. And if you don't carry uh, your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That sounds very harsh, but he's creating a picture of what it takes to really follow him. In the, uh, in the King James Version or even um, uh, the ESV, it'll have language like, unless you hate... Your, uh, your, your brother and your sister, your mother and your father, and even your own life, you can't follow me. 
Now, if you're looking at hate like that, you're like, that's very, that's very harsh. Like, I need to hate everybody in order to follow you. Isn't that a contradiction? Well, in, in, in the Greek, the comparative word for that is prioritize, right? It's prioritize. So he's saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to prioritize me. You have got to prioritize me in a way that allows the things in your life you want to see changed, changed. If you don't prioritize me, you will not see the change that you're looking for because you're putting me behind all the other things that you want to see. But that boils down to a choice. I'm going to give you an acronym here um, that, that I've followed for a long time. It's called DDP, right? DDP. Write that down first, DDP. First D, decide what you want. The first D is decide what you want. The second D is determine what it costs. The second D is determine what it costs. And P stands for pay the price. Pay the price. Decide what you want. Determine what it's going to cost. And then pay the price. Now, when we hear that, we think of several things. If you put this in mall analogies, shopping analogies, or, or sneaker spot analogies, right? One of the two of those, if you go into a store anywhere, you've already decided that this is what you want, right? The second part of that process is you're determining what it costs. And then the third is a very simple transaction. Either you're going to pay the price or you're not. You're going to get in there and see that what you wanted to buy is too expensive, and so you decide not to pay the price. You might shop, and shop around and go to another store, excuse me, um, go to another store and figure out what it costs there, and then decide if you're willing to pay the price. Half of what needs to happen in the maturity of our faith is, is deciding that we really want Jesus more than anything else, determining that it's going to cost some of the comforts that we have, and prioritizing him differently, and then paying the price to make it a reality. Part of what fails what we fail to do when it comes to how we cultivate the seed, cultivate the word of God so that it bears fruit in our life is we get all the way through the process and then decide we don't want to pay the price. That it's too expensive for me to push this plate aside. It's too expensive for me to get up this early. It's too expensive to spend time in God's word. It's too expensive for me. But yet, if you backtracked, you decided what you wanted. You wanted Jesus. That's what you said. You determined what it was going to cost you. You wrote some things down, and, and the night before, you said, you know what? I'm getting up at 5 in the morning to pray. Anybody else done that besides me? Right? 
You determined what it was going to cost you, and then it came time to pay the price, and you hit snooze. <laughs> right? Right? And that's what we do. And that's why when we talk about the things that we want to change and grow and develop in our lives, that's one of the reasons it doesn't happen. It's because we do not prioritize the cultivation process. We want this microwavable growth that we cannot have. Popcorn is suitable for the microwave. Ask somebody who knows. Right? There are things that are suitable for a microwave and can be done quickly, but what we're talking about in our growth and cultivation of our relationship with Jesus can't happen quickly. It has to happen consistently over time if you want transformation, right? If you want transformation, it requires consistency over time. That's how you get transformation. That's how you'll see, that's how your seed, that's how your seed will grow. Uh, Go back to uh, Psalm 1 with me for a second. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers, but his delight, check this out, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. How often does he meditate? That speaks to frequency, consistency. It's not occasional. It's regular. Doesn't mean he doesn't miss it, maybe every once and again, but it's regular. It's a routine in a schedule. And this is what it says about someone who does that. He says, he is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither, and what he does prospers. When he cultivated the seed that way, it says two things about it. He yielded fruit in season, which meant that he wasn't always going to have the kind of fruit that people could see, taste, and eat, but it was going to take time. But he also said his leaf never withered. Have you ever seen a tree? How many trees have you seen that you've seen never wither? Never wither. And then it says, because of that, it says, whatever he does, prosper. So I want to give you three things that help us understand how we cultivate our seed. The seed of what the Lord has given to us, the, the word of God that's been planted within us, like, like what was talked about in Psalm 1 uh, is not an anomaly. That can be all of us, right? We can all be those trees who are bringing forth fruit in good season, who leaves never wither. Imagine a, a, a life that's never affected by the changes of the external, A life that's not affected by the heat of summer, nor the frost and the cold of winter, nor the tornado or any other weather condition that leaf never withers. He's saying we can have that. It doesn't mean we will not have trouble, we will not have trial. It has nothing to do with that. It just says no matter what the trouble, no matter what the trial, no matter whether you're in, ple- in the midst of pleasure or enduring great pain, your leaf will never wither. 
That's the kind of faith and walk with Jesus I want, one that where my leaf never withers. Three things that we need to do if we're going to cultivate the seed that we have. One is self-control. It's the ability to say no when we could say yes. That's self-control. Our demonstrated ability over time to say no to things that we could say yes to, right? It's the difference from moving from good to great. Pastors talked about what was excellence at one level is mediocrity at the next, right? So when we think about uh, how we cultivate our seed, the first part of it is self-control. The second part of it is self-discipline, right? It's Paul talking about, I beat my, I beat my body daily. He says, I beat it into shape, right? I work it out in a way so at the end, I won't be disqualified. I will be prepared. That's what self-discipline helps us do. And then preparation. There's nothing worse than an opportunity you weren't prepared for. I'll say that again. There is nothing, nothing worse than an opportunity that you weren't prepared for, that you missed it. How many of us have ever had that, right? Whether that be uh, as simple as a person that was visiting or, or that was stopping by or, uh, <clears throat> or on your job, you just weren't prepared. Somebody came by your office just for the sake of argument to look at something. You didn't know you were being evaluated. They were evaluating you. You weren't prepared. They went to the next person, and you wondered why the next person got the promotion. Part of that could have been, not guaranteed, because I understand the other forces that are at work. It could have been that we were not prepared. Self-control, self-discipline, and preparation. When we look at how we take care of what God has given us. As we look at what God has uh, given us that we're expecting to grow, God says, I will make it grow. He says, so the person who plants and the person who waters doesn't have as much value as a person who, who makes it grow, but he does not uh, remove the planter or the waterer from the equation. The planter and the waterer are both in the equation. They are controlling what they can control, right? You can control you, what you can control. In other words, that was redundant, I know. <laughs> you can control the time you go to bed, the time you get up, the way you prioritize uh, your work schedule. You know, I, a simple nugget, we think about um, pray without ceasing, right? And, and most of us who uh, come from, you know, uh, well, I'll speak for myself. Pentecostal ministries, when you, when you were taught prayer, you were supposed to be on your face before the Lord in your closet. And if it didn't happen in your closet, it didn't happen. When you said grace, that didn't count, right? That don't count. Like, you're supposed to pray without ceasing, right? And so when we're on our job, we, we eliminate praying without ceasing. And honestly, sometimes we beat ourselves up because we're saying, dang, I wish I could pray more. I'm not praying without ceasing. Just because you've not been on your hands and knees before the Lord has nothing to do with your condition, the condition of your heart at the time. You can actually pray at your desk. 
Here, here's a question. How many of you have a desk and you listen to worship music softly or loudly, right? If you do that, what stops you from taking the same time that you're listening to pray? Amen. Can you not? I mean, we shouldn't do this, but some of us drive in text, right? We talk in text because we have earpieces. Why can't we type and pray? Why can't we type and pray? Those are the types of little things that help us cultivate the seed that we've been given that helps it grow and makes it provide increase. Here's the other thing you know about a seed. If it's cultivated right, it has no choice but to grow. It does not even have an option. It cannot, that seed cannot say, this is great water, this is great soil. I don't want to grow today. I'm not, I'm not doing that. The seed has no option if it's placed in the right soil, if it's nurtured the way it's supposed to be. Growth is a byproduct that will happen regardless if they want it or not. Sometimes we're afraid of growth. That's why we don't do what we should do. Because we're afraid of what growth in our life will produce. We're afraid of what it will injure and what it will kill instead of what it will produce. That's why when Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Yes, he was talking about himself. Of course he was talking about himself. But he understood, based on the conditions he was going to put himself through, there was no way that more fruit was not going to be produced. That was a given. He just had to be faithful as the seed to do what he was told. And he did that. And then the faithfulness of God showed up. He, ra he raised it in from the dead. He's seen by many people, and the rest is history because the spread of the gospel has happened regularly and consistently and without fail since the very time he got up. Think about it. We're sitting in this church right now. There are people in other churches around the world who are giving their hearts to Jesus as we speak. There are people in other countries where uh, they are, uh, where they fight the gospel and are antithetical towards the gospel. There are still people in China in the middle of everything that's happening right now that are still meeting Jesus. So the fruit of Jesus falling to the ground and dying and producing much fruit, it is still producing fruit off of how many seeds? Just one. Didn't need a ton of them. Didn't need a ton of them. So what do I want to leave you with? I want to go back to decide what you want, determine what it costs, and pay the price. Because most of the fruitfulness of our life depends on some things that we can control. We can't control uh, how much time we spend, how much time we spend in the Word of God, and I will... Uh, end like this. I'm going to go to Psalm 119. My glasses are worse than I thought. I have glasses on and I still can't see. That is a problem in and of itself. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay. We're going to start at verse 49. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this, your promises preserve my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. 
I remember your ancient law, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. He says, this has been my practice. I obey your precepts. He said, this has been my practice. This is what my life has been. Obeying your law, following your precepts. The only way you can be reminded of a promise is if you remember that it was even actually made to you. Okay, here's a tricky one. How many of you have had kids and you made a promise to them that they forgot? Right? My kids aren't up here good. Because you don't, you, and you're hoping that sometimes you're hoping they don't remind you of the promise. They're like, you promise, I'm really tired today. I hope you forgot what I promised you. Right? The only way to remind God of a promise is to remember the promise he gave you to start with. The Lord has made promises that you have to begin to remember. And the only way you can remember those promises is by getting hidden in this book. When we hold this up at the end of service, we're not holding it up just for the sake of argument. Because it's something good to say, though it is. This has to be our life. This is how we need to begin to think Listen, there is a time coming when having this and having this are not going to be at our disposal. It's going to have to be a process where God's word is hidden in our heart so that we might not sin against him. Not because we were able to pick it up and read it. If we're going to cultivate the seed, the word of God, we've got to get in his word and know what his word says. We've got to understand line upon line, precept upon precept. Because if we miss them, we'll fail to remember the promises that he's made. And the punchline is we want to be that tree that's planted by the river of water who brings forth fruit in season whose leaves never wither. May we get to the place, not only where we understand and embrace that, but that is our reality, that our leaves never wither. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. So sometimes we hear these things, and we make assumptions that everybody in the house understands what we're talking about. And there could be people in this room right now who don't have full understanding and revelation of what we're talking about because they're not walking with Jesus. And that's okay because that used to be us. Amen. Raise your hand if that used to be you. But the Bible says he came in and he saved us and he rescued us from the dominion of darkness that brought us into the kingdom of his son who he loves. And so today I want to provide the opportunity just in case there's anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know who Jesus is. I want to give you a chance to come and and be with him right now. We've all been where you are. 
you saw our hands raised. We all were outside of the fellowship of Jesus, outside of his body. And he brought us into his kingdom. If you're unsure, if that's you, that is you. <laughs> if you have to ask a question about, hey, is he talking to me? Good chances I'm talking to you. And so I want to open the, I want to open the altar. Let's pray, family. Father, we thank you for this opportunity today. We thank you for the opportunity to cultivate the seed, the seed of faith, the seed of your word in our hearts, Father. We would ask that you would help us to prioritize your word. We want to be the tree that's planted by the river of water, who brings forth fruit in this season, who leaves do not wither, and whatever we do prospers. We thank you for the opportunity to watch your word unfold in our life in a way that brings you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's hold our Bibles up. As Pastor Jamal would say, say it with your chest, even though my chest is bigger than his. Okay? Let's say it with, with our chest. Not his chest, but my chest, right? This Bible, this Bible is our primary source of faith. Primary source of faith. This, Bible this Bible is our rule of conduct. Rule of conduct. This, Bible this Bible creates the lens that we see life through as we leave this place but never God's presence Jesus is Lord we believe it we proclaim it and we're seeing it come to pass God bless you have a great week